Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the bite. You guys know by now that we do a bunch of commercials in the beginning, in the middle of these episodes. Um, There's two things here. One, Patreon.com, Working Dog Radio. We put the episodes up without commercials. How about that? But here's the thing, guys. I know you people. I know what you're doing. You're skimming forward and you're fast forwarding through the commercials. But I'm telling you, you want to listen to these and you want to listen to the ones in the middle of the episode because we put new discount codes. We put new job opportunities, new training opportunities, new gear, new equipment, new sponsors, all kinds of new cool stuff in there. You don't want to skip it because you don't want to miss it, especially the discount codes. So make sure you guys are paying attention. And having said that, we're going to kick it off right now with one of my favorites, right? Uh, RayAllen.com. We've had a great relationship with Ray Allen for a long time. They want you to know that they've heard you loud and clear, and they have revamped their customer service, faster response times, easier to get a hold of them, faster shipping, faster order f- uh, fulfillment. Um, any kind of issues they had, they ironed it out. RayAllen.com for everything dog related, not just working dogs. Working dog, pet, anything you need. I just bought about 300 bucks worth of stuff the other day. Mixture of pets and police dogs in one click. I loved it. RayAllen.com. Uh, we got hits coming up. Um, it's going to be in August this year. It's going to be at the McCormick Place in Chicago. Um, it moves around. So, you know, one of the things they're really good about is it's not in the same location every year. So every four years, it's probably in a different area, or it's in a different area of the country. And they make it super obvious about... Um, rotating all of their uh, instructors too. So if you come last time they were, say, in Dallas like four years ago, when they go back to that area, you're not going to see the same people over and over again. When we were there last year, there was like 1,200 people, and they're talking about having 13 to 1,500, and we've got 100 vendors in the vendor hall this year. They're getting ready to have a price increase. And I know you people, and I mean you people as handlers, you guys wait for the last fucking second to do everything. And I know it's not your money, but the hotel fills up quick. Then you got to walk everywhere in Chicago, which is probably going to suck because it's going to be super hot. So... Get your tickets booked. It's going to be August 13th through the 16th this year at McCormick Place in Chicago. Go to hitsk9, letter K number nine, dot net. Get signed up. Look at the class schedule. Plan on where you're going to go. And, uh, yeah, submit all of your forms to all of your admins so you can get it paid for. And uh, you'll see us there. We're going to be doing live recordings. And come by the booth, get a beer, and uh, have a challenge going. we got some custom challenge coins we're making. So, um we're Which, not uh, we're not giving them beer though, Ted. They have no, to no, no. Yeah, beer. no, yeah. That's yeah. Get a beer was, and bring it with you. If that was if that was not obvious, I guess that's my bad. All right. So uh, one of the booths that's also going to be at hits probably right across from us. If uh, if it's anything like last year's, our friends at Dogtra. Um, I love Dogtra. Dogtra.com. Great company. Um, you guys have heard of us. You know they're especially you guys, you uh, policemen, law enforcement handlers. They're um, Remote is so set up for you guys to have on your gear. There's tons of different uh, Molly gear you can get for Dogtra uh, remotes. The 1900S is the best collar I have used. I love that thing. Their ball popper is all revamped. Um, They figured out anything with a battery should be rechargeable. The ball popper is rechargeable. It's kicking ass. Dogtra.com. They have a discount code, WDR10, for 10% off of any order over $200. Dogtra.com. 
So this next one is somebody that we, it's new to the podcast uh, or they just signed up. So I just mentioned challenge coins. Now, everybody knows that everybody loves dogs and everybody listening, whether you're search and rescue, whether you're FEMA, whether you're, uh, you know, sheriff's office, whatever, everybody in the public loves seeing dogs. And the one thing that I always see is people handing out challenge coins or handing out um, the little like playing cards with the dog's information and all that stuff on it. So one of the new sponsors for the podcast is Combat Bet, which is spelled B-E-T at the end, like you're betting. Uh, They have the little challenge coins that are shaped like poker chips. And ironically enough, they're pretty inexpensive for um, like a department to have for a canine unit. You can have them on their little, you can have the dog's picture on one side, you can have the sheriff's office shield on the other side, whatever you want to do. You can even print on the collar of it. And they do two different versions. They got the, the ceramic poker chip ones, and then they've also do a couple of metal ones. Um, so depending on how much you want to spend or whatever else, you can get a variety of different things, and they can print pictures on. So you can get the picture of the dog and the handler on there, hand them out to kids when you go do your school demos, and you guys look like heroes, which is freaking awesome. So they're doing a discount code for everybody. So if you go to combatbet.com, and you'll get a discount of 10% off of your total order price, which isn't a whole lot to begin with. So it's Working Dog Radio spelled out. Head over there, hit them up, tell them we sent you. Use a discount code, hand out coins to kids. That's all you got to do. That's it. Yeah, I think our first sponsor that we ever got when we got on the podcast is Arno at ALM. Um, yeah. I love ALM. The dude, the dude has been so good to us, so good to everybody. Um, I'm telling you right now, man, you want tugs, and I mean, we go through tugs a lot. Yeah, I give them out to all the handlers when they come through, and I don't use anyone else but Arno at ALM. Uh, his tugs are the best, period. They hold up. They're great. The dogs love them. Everything's great. And I've, I've done a ton of social media stuff about his hidden sleeve. His hidden sleeve is so legit. It is yeah. so good. It's the easiest, the easiest one to put on and take off. It is so functional like I use it you know under stuff as a hidden sleeve but I use it as a just as a regular sleeve sometimes um, it you do feel it it does suck I'm not gonna lie to you <laughs> but it is a perfect sleeve for what we like to do he has a discount code WD radio for 10% off almk 9 equipment.com hit him up so speaking of traveling, October 30th through November 2nd of this year, our friends down at Southern Coast Canine, New Smyrna Beach, are going to be hosting the Hard Dog Fast Dog Competition. It's the Police Motorcycle and Canine Skills Challenge hosted by our friends at Southern Coast, Peggy and Bill and Danny. So uh, I'm actually going to be down there announcing the uh, Hard Dog Fast Dog Competition. Now, it's limited to the first 30 canine teams uh, and the first 30 detection teams, and they're also doing a competition the 4th through the 7th, which they do every year, which is a huge odor uh, seminar and detection seminar and competition. And at the end of the three days, you actually certify with NNDDA, but there's going to be 125 teams in attendance, so it should be a good time. Be sure to head over to Southern Coast Canine, hit them up, look at it, and come down and see me, and I'm sure I'll be heckling whoever's going to be decoying because you're going to get smashed. I don't know what to tell you. Be on your A game. Yeah. You guys remember our episode with Cameron Ford? Uh, Cameron Ford's worked all over the United States. Um, he's done all time, all kinds of multi-purpose canine training. Detection is his thing. It is what he does the most. That's what his scientific approach yep. uh, has proven. Like 
very effective, the things he does. Well, Cameron moved to Las Vegas to join the folks over at Silver State Canine. Um, they offer a ton of stuff. They have a class coming up. you got to get on this quick, though, guys. Uh, July 29th to August 9th. 29th to August 9th. It's a... Um, going to be a handler and trainer's course. you got to get on it. And they're going to rerun it September 9th through the 20th. This is not a cakewalk, but I'm telling you, you will learn a scientific method for this. Um, it's it's good stuff, man. Check them out, SilverStateK9.com. They, um, just so, say you can't go to Vegas, can't make it to Vegas. Maybe you don't have enough comp time. You, got, you don't have enough vacation time. They won't let you travel. You get a hold of uh, the folks at Silver State, and they will send Cameron to you. And they'll do a 40-hour detection dog seminar for you. You can get your all your unit, get all your training group. He'll come to you. SilverStateK9.com. Check them out. All right. We are back again in Chicago, Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. I am Ted Summers. With me, as always, is Eric Stambro. Eric. Still hungover from... (laughs) It's now 2.30, still hungover. I was talking to Curtis at the Tactical Electronics booth, and I thought I was going to fucking die. I had a coughing fit now I'm drinking beer already so yeah, you're drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon so. it's after lunch so it's cool it is Chicago I think well, that's it it's Milwaukee close enough oh okay it's cold yeah. sorry it's still the same thing but I, yeah it's good man this I, I, still I was looking at this place and I was walking around it's, it's about the size of a pretty decent sized airport this place is huge yeah yeah it's definitely <laughs> and they are not scamping on the air conditioning uh, no, they, better than uh, sweating no I guess. they definitely so, are not keep you awake they're trying to keep everybody awake air. after the food coma <laughs> yeah, see, now for everybody, I sound like shit because Alicia gave me something and I'm the fucking patient zero. Right. She's going to, yeah. So, at any rate, uh, we have another guest on from HITS Instructing. Uh, he has been on before. Uh, we did a detection episode last time with him and uh, it turned out really well. We're going to do, we're going to talk about what he's talking about here at HITS, but back again is Don Blair. Don, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Welcome to Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Excellent. <laughs> well, nobody's been shot yet, so I'm, I'm stoked. <laughs> We've still got the weekend. I, well, I know. <laughs> I did not bring enough cash, though. This place is expensive. I yeah. always forget that. $10 every 10 feet, bro. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So, uh, Don, uh, go ahead and just like quickly kind of give us a brief resume for the people that hadn't listened to the episode before. Um, we'll put the link to the other episode before Alicia will do it uh, and your other episode that everybody can go back and listen to because it's still up. So, basically, I started in uh, law enforcement, turned 21 at the police academy. Um, uh, came out of the academy, worked for about six months. I had previously already worked at a dog school, so um, the small town in Colorado expedited my break-in, and uh, I hit the streets after about six months with my dog, Ranger. I did that for about five years and then went to U.S. Customs, um, left that for the private sector, worked for a couple of big international companies, uh, went back to Customs to run their breeding program and the research and development, and I've been out in the private sector since doing um, some police dog departments and contracts uh, for privates. Do you still do breeding? I don't anymore. Um, I, I did uh, breeding for about 18 years yeah. um, with German Shepherds and then, of course, for the government out at Front Royal Virginia. What did you think of it? Um, I, I think it's the wave of the future. Yeah. We uh, talk about that all the time. We're, we would love to to not ship dogs from overseas. We'd love yeah. to get yeah. them here, but it's going to take a concerted effort. Yeah, it yeah. really is. And the uh, people really underestimate what you have to pour into a good puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know you guys completely understand it, but you know you get uh, some other entities involved with it, and uh, they have no idea what a true working dog really looks like. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing about a, a puppy breeding program is you have to have a network of people that want puppies for when the ones that don't make it. You know, so you definitely got to, there's like two parts of that whole thing, you know. Well, and I also think that if, if we were careful and we had the concerted effort, you know, you've got food reward dogs for ATF, uh-huh. <clears throat> um, bunches of different toy reward dogs for the military. So there would be outlets, I think, for them. Uh, getting the health under control is always a big thing. Yeah. All right, so what are we, um, what are you teaching? You're teaching tomorrow morning. I'm teaching tomorrow right. morning uh, from 8 to 10, uh, problem solving for detector dogs. All right. You got to bring your A game eight eight a.m. That's why they put they put the right people there. You got to wake some people up, start the day out. Yeah. So problem solving tends to be one of those things that uh, I inevitably end up doing with a lot of teams that I train with infrequently. Um, and you know whether it's either on detection or tracking or bite work or, or whatever, it always seems to be like a skill that I think most well-rounded trainers have to have. Um, then it requires that you understand the steps of the process to create a finished dog in the first place. So. Um, let's talk a little bit about what this class is about that you're talking and then kind of move forward through there through some of the problem solving steps. So basically it's a two-part class. We're going to start out with uh, basically job descriptions. Job descriptions from the handler, um, you know, leash control, movement, uh, timing, criteria, rates of reinforcement, uh, dabble in some of the science that makes a really good handler and also makes an excellent trainer. Um, and then after that, we're going to talk about the, the dog's job descriptions. Basically, you know, odor recognition, uh, discrimination, um, but that's always followed up by um, the, the performance of the dog. And so part two will lead us into that performance behavior chain. And um, I've been using this now for about the last five years and just kind of collectively have put it together in the last three And um, I've had really rave reviews from trainers and handlers on uh, the simplifying that behavior chain so that you can kind of look at it like an inkjet cartridge. We'll unplug, say, alert, and then we will have exercises designed specifically to enhance the alert of the dog and then plug it back into that behavior chain. And so by really, really laser focusing where the dog's issues are, I mean, there are some teams that are completely fucking broken, right? Oh, yeah. Um, But but those, uh, at least my experience, are fairly rare. Um, So when when somebody has a problem, normally it's in only one or two of these little sections. And so that really makes it, uh, when when you have that trained eye to see when the dog goes through the behavior chain and transforms, say, from the initial alert through the interest phase, and then they struggle to finally get to source. So we can, we can design exercises as we unplug that, the interest tracing the source, refresh it with exercises, laser focus and designed to enhance that, and then plug it back in. And so um, everywhere from uh, you know, civilian nose work to some high-level uh, vapor handlers, we've had really, really good success with it. Do you find that you have a, um, when, you're, when you're doing that, that you have a certain... I don't know how I want to put it, breed-specific things. Like, this is how typically on a German short hair pointer that we see issues or, 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 like, you try something 
for try a breed specific thing or is it just dog specific like so for me it's it's more performance specific right okay. um I, the best german short hair should work like the best malinois in my opinion and so um if the if the dog has an issue with one of those sections then the the motivators right the reinforcement might be different the delivery of the reinforcement might be different but the results should look the same and so uh, you know, things like search patterning, right? Some people um, talk about off-leash handling. When I'm in a group of handlers and they say, oh, I always run my dog off-leash, what's transferred through the air is I suck as a handler. Yes, right. right? <laughs> and I'm terrible so, on the leash. Yeah, <laughs> and so the dog should be capable of working on-leash, off-leash, uh, with always our operations at the forefront of how we're going to deploy the dog. If you're doing a, a live fine wilderness dog, then it's ridiculous. You're not running that dog on leash, right? right? But if you're in the city of Chicago downtown, you're also not running your dog off leash. And so um, those are some of the side projects that uh, this is a course that's whittled down from an eight-hour course to two hours. Yeah. Those are all mentioned in the eight-hour course, but uh, tomorrow... Um, uh, I'm down to 67 slides right now for a two-hour presentation <laughs> uh, with lots of video clips, and so uh, I'll be still whittling away this evening. You you probably had to whittle to an eight-hour. I bet you could probably get a couple. Oh, of days you could easily out. get a couple yeah, of days yeah. if you were if you were going into each of these subjects. The uh, the issue though, as you guys know, is a lot of departments just don't want to pay to have their guys in classroom training. Yeah, everybody's in a rush to get out there on the end of the leash. And uh, without the classroom component and really understanding what we're going to accomplish and how that environmental setup looks like, you're going to have you're going to have a defeated team. Um, the uh, I, I, I have been starting all of my talks with um, two of the biggest important factors: let the environment and your training aid placement do all of your training. Right? We want as little information delivered from the handler or trainer as possible. And so when we're setting out our training aids, if we have that forethought and we have our criteria, and I know that's a, a term that's not really used a lot for the dog world, but basically it's the target of what we're trying to accomplish for this training session. So criteria might be in a room like this, I want my dog to work tighter corners. And that's all we're going to work on for the next 45 minutes or the next three sessions or whatever until the dog looks like a can opener going around the corners. And then as we do our field work, our point-to-point -point and quartering, which enhances the dog's odor recognition capabilities at lower and lower thresholds and increases the odor obedience, we're really arming that dog to be like a samurai. In the absence of odor, they have this meticulous, beautiful search plan. As soon as they're confronted with odor, they break the plan and they go immediately to source. And there's no messing around because we have armed the dog with these specific uh, attributes. So when we plug in that whole behavior chain, we've got, the, we've got it all lined up. When, you, when you're teaching them, uh, training them, do you prefer a dog? Because I see dogs that will constantly be sniffing and then dogs that only do it when they get to something. And they get to a desk or they get to something. That's, the, that's absolutely the beauty of combining the field work where the dog is literally searching nothing. You know, you're doing an open parking lot and there's odor available out in the 50-yard range. So there isn't an object to become obedient to. And, and what you're talking about we see all the time. We call that obedience to objects, which is vastly different than obedience to odor. Yeah.
Right. That's like kind of teaching the highly productive areas thing versus right. skipping things that are... <clears throat> I use the trash can analogy. Like if you walk to work every day and you pass 50 trash cans and one day you pick up one trash can and there's a hundred bucks under it, you're going to look under every single fucking trash can. Mm-hmm. And it's not the, uh, the idea that you're looking for every trash can. It's just those because that's where you've been successful in the past versus teaching obedience to odor versus like you said, obedience to objects and using object permanence, which is what we use to teach building searches. But mm-hmm. yes. well, and, and, the, and that's why this, I, I really think the, the folks that are, if they're able to come to the class, um, we teach both. And when, you, when the dog is really armed well with both of those skills, um, with obedience to odor superseding search pattern, okay. right? That's always the, I mean, that's why we're doing this meticulous right. search pattern is to get to odor. But then as we go through this behavior chain, that the last one is a restart, right? That's the last part of a, beha- of a, a single detection. There are seven stages that we'll go through. But that last part is a restart because you guys have both seen the, the melon heads or the crazy Labradors, they're cool until they get to their first hide. Then they lose their shit, oh, yeah. Yeah. and now that the rest of this search doesn't look anything like the first of the search. Yeah. So again, we plug out, we pull out restarts, and we do a series of restarts until we have that corrected, until that dog's first start looks as good as the fifth start. When uh, we back up a little bit, you were talking about leashes. What if you're grabbing a leash? What are you grabbing? I'm grabbing a six footer. Six footer. You a nylon or you? A... I'm a leather guy, um, but six footer, um, never more than than fifteen. What about For, this whole thing with flexies? Do you ever mess with them? I never mess with them. There, there's just too much bad information with the reeling in and the reeling out. Um, that I think is, you know, remember we. It, if on a great day we only had 90% of the dog's brain, now he has to fight through this constant barrage of information that is meaningless. Mm-hmm. You're reeling him closer, you're letting him out, it meaning closer, letting him out. It's meaningless information, but he still has to deal with that. And it makes a sound. Sound is a huge distraction. And and, uh, anyone who's run a a tracking class, you know, when I attach my my tracking leash to the back of your pants and have you start to walk and then just tug with the slightest, like you're not even setting a hook, it's so distracting. You're taking 15 or 20% of the dog's brain away just from that. Yeah, I see a lot of people using the flexies. Um, I've got a bomb dog uh, that I just trained up just to sell, and I've... I made videos of her doing on leash, off leash, flexi, long line. I'm like, because I don't know what any of you people are gonna right. are gonna want to do with it. Um, so when you're problem solving, how much do you when you bring in the handler back in? How much is do you prefer? Maybe there's a concentrated percentage of unknown to the handler. So when we're what we would do is we would run a simple problem, something like a point to point or a, a set of 20 simple boxes. And from those two exercises, we can really identify um, the cluster fuckedness of the team, right? <laughs> That's an, I'm going to write that down. Right? <laughs> That's cluster fuckedness. That's what this episode's called. And so <laughs> if the handler can't manipulate the leash on a simple exercise like this, I don't need to take him out and search now 20 you know. vehicles, right? You can't search this simple setup. Um, and then the timing of the reinforcement. And then what we test on the dog is uh, out of doors, that odor recognition mm-hmm. um, and, um, and any obedience to the odor because the dog is basically doing a point A to point B in a blank parking lot or field. 
So from there, that'll give us enough information where we can start to set up exercises, some solely for the handler, leash manipulation maybe, or uh, voice tension, uh, praising the chair, right? There's a lot of different exercises that we can set up for that. And then there's literally hundreds of exercises to set up um, to work on scent discrimination, um, a lot of dogs, they, uh, they don't, handlers don't do enough work on true discrimination. And the reason that's important is because of the timeliness of the search. If my dog keeps fucking around with these novel odors and I'm looking for a bomb, that, that, that extra three minutes might be the, the right. difference. And so having the, it has to do with the dog's decision making, right? When we're going down a box of 20, 18 have heavy-duty distractors in them to have hots, a low-threshold hot and a high-threshold hot. And uh, I want the dog, basically, I don't want to be too anthropomorphic, but to be going, no, 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 yes, right? Make those quick decisions. Bitchin' season is really interesting, but you can't spend time dilly-dallying on that. And if you don't devote time to that, then the dog's decision-making will never get better because he's never been in an environment that will improve it. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Um, so, I'm trying to think how to word the question. How much um, do you time do you spend then on blank, like completely blank? So when we do run blanks, because blanks obviously are a big part, especially for explosive dogs. You know, you're, you're in your career, you're going to run a hell of a lot more blanks than than hops. Oh yeah. Hopefully, anyway. Um, and. Uh, <clears throat> We're looking for that same decision-making, other than that one has to be on a little bit higher duration, right? Um, so working out frustration, falses, what those look like to the handler, um, how the dog... They, there's a difference between a frustration false, right, with no novel odor, and a dog just not knowing what the hell they're looking for and sitting on some novel odor. And that second one looks a hell of a lot like an alert because the dog thinks he's going to get paid for that. Whereas the first one, the dog's pimping you to get paid for that, mm-hmm. but he hasn't done the full behavior chain. There has not, in most of the falses, if you watch it, there has not been an alert, a tracing to source, a mental confirmation that the dog is at source or as close as they can get, followed by a physical train final response, right? In the absence of that, the dog I fucks you a couple times and drops into a sit. So we can articulate, while it's technically a false, it is not an odor-driven false. Where if the dog sits on alcohol swabs or broken markers, that's a completely different discrimination issue. Then we go back to shoring up uh, odor recognition and discrimination, both of those, um, because they're of equal value. And so that dog being able to make those quick decisions, yes, 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 no, or no, 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 yes. That's such a huge deal because in my hand, in fact, we got a handler school going on right now. And during handler schools, I make my handler start with a 15-foot line and stay back, right? So the dogs show up and they're already finished. Uh, or they show up and the dogs are already finished. And the handlers are learning to handle this dog. So the entire time, I, don't, I want them looking at the entire dog from his head to his tail. And I'm constantly telling them, like, tell me what you're seeing. Right. Before, because, I, because I train the damn dog. So I know, like, what the entire behavior chain looks like before we're getting into a final response. So I know what the dog does. He closes his mouth. His ears come up, depending on what the dog is. And so I'm telling the handler, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? Tell me what you're seeing. Right. So you get, you know, a month in and all of a sudden the handlers, then they start saying it. Right. And then that's when we start teaching them how to write reports. I'm like, all that shit you've been saying for the last month, like this is where it goes. 
but uh, you know and they'll start calling it before they're like oh he's in he's in he's in get ready and they're like dog alerts and but you're right and they can tell when that the dog's lying they're like He's like, no, you fucker. You yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> well, it's amazing how many of them, even guys have been doing it for a while, forget. Like, their dog will go and false. And it's like, they, they turn and look at you and it's like, did you see a change of behavior? Yeah, seriously. What are you looking did at you, me for? I mean, you've watched him a <laughs> thousand times do it. This time he was just walking and sat down yeah. and looked at you. Really? You're going to look at me? <laughs> well, and uh, to play off of what Ted said, one of the one of the best descriptions I, I use for new handlers, newer handlers, is a simple video clip that's probably, I, I'll be showing three of them tomorrow, but they're, they're less than 20 seconds each. And they're all done on point to points. And so you see the whole behavior chain from the start up until the train final response. We, I don't put a, a restart in on these. But um, so you can articulate the behavior chain as it's unfolding in front of you. And I, I've had good success with my folks watching that four or five times. Now we go out and do it, and they're like, boom, I got that. Boom, I got this. Okay, now we're going in this direction. And then it looks the exact same when you transfer it over to a vehicle. Okay, we've got the start, we've got hunt discrimination, we've got the alert, we've got the tracing to source followed by mental confirmation, followed by a physical confirmation, followed by the reinforcement, followed by a restart. And there we have our whole behavior chain unfold in front of us. And so, like I said, um, the, most of the teams that I see are not all the way broken, but some of those components really need some extra attention. So we're talking about um, train final response. How important do you think that is? Do you have dogs you don't put a sit in? Um, so... Myself, personally, I, I don't think it's that important, right? It, on the border, you can imagine we praised our dogs away from thousands of pounds so yeah. you didn't get fucking run over yeah. on the border, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but more and more legally, especially for drug dogs, I'm seeing this trend that that trained final response, the handler not doing a lot of presentations, there's a lot of fucked up supposed expert witnesses out there testifying against the police and uh, they're, 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 there's one case up in Canada um, that... Um, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, if she doesn't sit, you must acquit, Fuck. which was a bullshit all the way around. Yeah. Had they had a good expert witness there, we could have beaten that case. I, I really, yeah, truly oh, believe that. But when they, they... You know how the defense attorneys are. They start to get an inch, and they're going to run for it for miles. And so um, I have been making the trained final response more and more important. Um, but we also train for those times where it's purely inaccessible, where the dog, there's no way they can make it. And so in those instances, what I train for is the dog to um, look at as close as they can or try to get as close as they can to source, followed by the, you know, if we had something in those three pictures, the far left is the one that's loaded. So I want that dog staring at the far left. So I can still articulate without the sit, without anything, through training, and we were correct, right? Because the dog has had training in this area. If he can't sit, then this is his fallback default behavior. Yeah, plus you have the other parts of the behavior chain to go along with. You know, in the old days, we, we talked about this stuff following an alert, but an alert traced to source was it. You, you, were, right. you were putting cuffs on guys. Right, and for everybody listening, if you'll send me an email at the uh, host of Working Dog Radio. I have a thing that Eric and I wrote up 
uh, that we send out to people, which is the uh, 14 or 16 cases uh, that outline the difference between change of behavior and trained final response and how, because there's a lot of attorneys out there that you have, they're like, well, he didn't sit. I'm like, he doesn't fucking have to sit. I don't care if he shakes a martini. Exactly. I mean, he needs to do something that is a noticeable end to that searching behavior to let us know that there is something, that there is odor at that location. And I don't care what it is, but um, the difference between a change of behavior and a final alert, which I think is lost on a lot in the legal community and I mean, it's fucking case law. I mean, there's like 14 or 16 cases. I can't remember how many there are. I have them all written up, but I mean, if you'll send me a host of working dog radio, I'll send you the write up I have in my handlers thing and that Eric and I wrote up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break for a minute and come back and talk about some imprinting and things like that. Hey guys, we got a great new sponsor, man. We're super excited about this. I have a box full of challenge coins. I love them. Everywhere we go, I'm always asking people, do you have challenge coins, challenge coin? Um, but I don't have one. Working Dog Radio doesn't have one. Torchlight doesn't have one. HRD doesn't have one. So we are going to get those. We're going to get them made. And we're looking around trying to figure out who we're going to use, who we're going to get to make these challenge coins. We partnered up with the good people at Combat Bet. That's C-O-M-B-A-T. B-E-T. And they've got several different cool styles to choose from. They got other things too. They got some cards. They got a lot of different cool stuff. They're giving a uh, discount code for us, Working Dog Radio. Um, I can't wait. Um, we're going to get uh, these challenge coins. And I'm telling you, if I give you one, you better have it. If I see you, I'm going to blast that thing out on the bar and you have to buy me a drink. CombatBet.com. Check them out. They have several different styles of coins. Um, we're really super proud to have them on here, man. CombatBet.com. Yeah, it's no secret that uh, Eric and I use a lot of equipment at either up in Ohio, Venice, or here at Torchlight. Uh, we've been using Dog Triff for years. Both of us have. Um, even before we even started the podcast, you know, one of my favorite products is the 1900S hands free. I use it all the time, and I've uh, even got a different collar on it so I can put it on dogs super fast. Uh, there's no messing around with it or whatever else, and I just keep the remote in my pocket and I have the finger kick on my on my finger or on my wrist, and uh, makes it super easy. But Doctor's got several products, and not just for police dogs. You know, he's doing for hunting dogs. They've got a long history uh, with the hunting dog community. But uh, great products, several things for everybody, from pets all the way up to working dogs. And they also have the awesome ball watcher and popper that I use at the kennel. Uh, I think I've got four of those things now. And um, we've got them in a box, and I've got them hidden in cars, all kinds of stuff. But for uh, listeners, anytime you use the discount code WDR10, you get 10% off a single item over 200 bucks and that's at dogtra.com go hit them up dogtra.com hey guys coming up it's coming up august august 13th through the 16th the hits conference hits is the best conference going it's the biggest it's uh there's only a couple conferences that we back and we sponsor over here at working dog radio based on who runs it the type of material the type of training the instructors everything they get nothing shady happening hits um I can't say enough about the guys. You've heard them on the podcast, man. They're all legit. They're handlers. Um, they're out there working every day with that dogs, with those dogs, and they're putting on this big, huge conference. They got a uh, price increase coming up, man. So don't mess around. This year, it's in Chicago at McCormick Place. Like it's the size of Canton, Ohio, pretty much the entire 
<laughs> venue that they're going to be at. Um, check them out. Hits canine.net. Don't wait. Yeah, you know, one of the other uh, sponsors that we have that's also uh, nothing shady going on that we're super happy to have on the podcast <laughs> is Ray Allen. Uh, I think Ray Allen made equipment for um, dogs that are on the Ark. They've been around for so long. Uh, their product designer, uh, you know, Matt, is one of our good buddies. Uh, we love that dude to death. Uh, they do a good job there. They've got that new treat pouch that Eric really likes. Uh, keep your fucking hoodies from smelling like hot dogs or, or Billjack. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just ordered a bunch of rubber arms, and we ordered a leg for Eric. Uh, that uh, is good for proofing patrol dogs. And they've got everything, not just for police dogs. They got stuff for working dogs, and they got stuff for uh, for other working dogs like search and rescue or hunting, and then also just for pets. Also, they've got leashes and everything for and harnesses. Just regular collars, everything you need. If you're going to go over there, make sure you use the discount code. Also, working dog radio spelled out. Uh, the beginning of each letter needs to be or word needs to be capitalized. You'll get ten uh, percent off your first order. And yeah, they have just about everything you need except for the dog and the patrol car. So hit them up and not owned by a uh, somebody that has pled guilty to uh, sex offender crimes. So there's that. You guys have heard me talk and Ted talk about our relationship with Highland Canine. Um, we've done it on social media. We, you've heard it here in the commercials and things. And we do that because we believe in the Pergasons and we believe what they got going on there. Um, they have a school for dog trainers. They got a police dog training school. Um, and, and they started to realize what they were doing was everything was... Um, basic training for them. And they do have a lot of basic training classes. They take you, uh, they teach you, say you're a handler, they're training you, and then boom, out you go on the road. But what we see in this business is most guys don't follow up with any kind of advanced courses. So Highland Canine, they're like, you know what, we're going to take care of that. They have started a um, advanced detection, or excuse me, advanced um canine courses, like a whole curriculum they're rolling out. Back in April, they started with an advanced detection course. Um, They're going to go into advanced skills for every aspect of police canine training. Uh, Be sure to check it out. Look for upcoming classes, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's the letter K, the number nine, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Harmony, North Carolina. Check them out. So everybody knows that we uh, love the guys at Southern Coast, Bill and Peggy Heiser, and of course Danny. But they've also got a second company called Coast to Coast Canine, which handles uh, detection services. And they are looking for two full-time and one part-time explosive handler. So be sure to hit them up and email Peggy Heiser. So you're going to do P Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R, at C, the letter 2, C, the letter K, the number 9.com. That's C2CK9.com. Shoot her your resume and apply for the jobs for a full-time explosive handler. There's two of those. And then a single part-time handler, uh, explosive handler, at C2CK9.com. Peggy Heiser at cdccanon.com. Go hit them up. So I got a uh, bomb dog in my uh, kennel right now. I'm imprinting her on the seven odors that we use over here in Ohio. None of those odors are the HMEs like TATP, um, urea nitrate, and some of the other ones. We um, are afraid of that shit, and I'm not touching it. I'm not messing with it. But I do want my dogs to, to find it. So looking around, you know, my guys go through some training with the FBI like once a year. It's pretty hard to stay proficient on that stuff. And I'm not messing with that stuff for real. So what do we do? True Scent. True Scent is a 
Um, it's not a pseudo odor. It's a simulant. It is real odor suspended in silica. Now listen, they have everything. They have all the explosive odors you want. Um, but I specifically look for the, the HME kits. They got several of them. Um, check them out. Uh, it's, it's real explosive odor. Um, it's good stuff, man. We really like them. You heard Ellie, their chemist on our, um, podcast. We made a whole t-shirt based on that podcast. Uh, it's good type of stuff. TrueScentK9.com. Um, when you get there and plug it in, they do give us a discount code, which is WDR, all capitalized, WDR15. That's a WDR15 for 15% off training aids. Get on it. Yep. So working dogs, whether they be police dogs or hunting dogs or search and rescue, whatever, have a fantastic talent of managing to hurt themselves in magnificent and magical ways. Um, if I could count the ways that my fucking dogs have managed to hurt themselves, it would fill up an entire podcast episode. Not everything is going to require a vet visit. I'm not suggesting that you don't take the dog to the vet, but stuff that's normal, like hot spots, pad injuries, happy tail, stuff that's just kind of annoying, uh, can turn into serious issues. The guys at Vet Care have produced a, st- a product called Quick Derm. That is absolutely fantastic. Eric actually has a guy that's close to him that runs a fairly large boarding kennel uh, that had a dog come in that had hot spots already when he got there. And, you know, you didn't want to be blamed for hot spots. So uh, he actually ordered some of the stuff and cleared it up in, I mean, a couple of days. I actually had some pretty gnarly burns from uh, dealing with the dogs at the HRD seminars uh, from doing some of the muzzle work and I was able to clear up something on my arm <laughs> in about seven days and it didn't tear up my tattoo which is kind of nice so so if you go over to vetcare.us it's going to be 10WDR and you'll get 10% off your first order and we've heard some rumors that they were upgrading people on sizes when you use the discount code so head over and put it in your uh, put it in the patrol car and you'll be good to go all right, we are back uh, from Hits here with Don Blair. Second interview. Uh, uh, the short, this is like Saturday Night Live when you get to host five times <laughs> or more. There's, there's only a handful of people who got to come on twice. No, it's really not that important. But um, so we're talking about um, a lot of things about detection. When are, are you a box guy, Dutch box? What, what, what are you, what's your thing? So I'm a towel guy. Okay. If, I, if I have my preference, I'm a towel guy. Um, it's just time and contact with the towel. Do you time it at all, or you just nope? Just uh, just again going off of the dog's behaviors, their mm-hmm. odor recognition. Um, but um, for most of the dogs that are, are well selected, I should say, mm-hmm. they're not on the towel for that long. It's just to put the odor on the dog, but it removes a lot of the human interactions with the dog. The guy standing out there teasing the dog, throwing a towel. Everything else is now between the environment, which I love, and the dog, mm-hmm. right? And the odor that that towel produces. So we're reducing the amount of anything human being right from the start. I know some bomb dog people um, talk about, well, that'll make the dog aggressive. The dog is not on the odor that long. When we do the odor split after about two days of retrieves, um, the dog never has contact again with a scented towel for that odor, and they're now receiving their Kong or their tennis ball or whatever else. Um, the very few times, and I can, I can count them on three fingers, that a dog's have aggressed on the AIDS, we were able to fix it within a matter of about 15 minutes. And so I never worry about that backlash. And it's the most natural way for a high-drive, low-drag dog 
to encounter and really just blow their heads off with this new scented toy. You know, they like the tug. There's that interaction for the reinforcement. But if they don't like to tug, they can run around the field for 10 minutes. And as long as they don't drop the towel, because that's a different problem. Mm -hmm. They drop the towel, we might have selected the wrong dog. But they're running around that whole time as scent association that's enjoyable to the dog. And so I think it gets the quickest, uh, most strong results. But in, in these later years, I have gone to use boxes for a lot of the food reward dogs. You know, they're, and if your dog isn't high drive enough to do the retrieve, don't waste your time on it. Go right to the boxes and get the odor on the dog. But the follow-up to that is then get the dog out of doors doing field work immediately. Because if, they do, if that's not plugged in early enough, then um, you will see dogs struggle down the road with long-distance hits. And so we do, a, we do a ton of these very long-distance hits, um, 100, 200 yards out, quarter of the way in in a Walmart parking lot. And um, again, that, that nice combination of obedience to odor and obedience to the search plan. Does, um, so once you, so even with, even with the towels, are you always a separate guy or when you start doing actual live odor or whatever, are you a cocktail in the beginning or are you always separate? Always separate. Yeah. Um, I've never, I spent some time in Holland and, uh, that didn't, didn't change my mind. Uh, customs was always a single odor. Um, the guy that I initially trained with that was from the Denver police department was a single odor guy. And, um, I, I just don't have, uh. Anytime we're leaving extra decisions up to the dog, I, I don't trust that. That's, you know, if you have a live find HR dog, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of responsibility to put on your training in that dog. And uh, I have done it around the country where I put a live human being in a closet with a couple of pounds of uh, human remains. And every single dog always says everyone's dead. So if you happen to be the poor unconscious bastard in the hole with the dead guy, you ain't making it out alive. Man, Rex has his ball though. Yeah, right. Yeah, (laughs) he was good to go. Yeah, fuck. And so, um, yeah, I've just always been a separate guy, and and there is no time saving. I I mean, if you spend two days uh, in a week on marijuana, coke, heroin, whatever else you're going to put on the dog, um, it's a week. Right, And I think the product, because of the clarity in with which the dog has contacted those odors, it never varies. Where when you have a soup, there's going to be variances. I mean, it, the, the other thing, scientifically, right, with the soup, you couldn't develop pseudo-narcotics if the soup really worked. Well, right? right. Um, because <laughs> methyl sodium benzoate for cocaine mm-hmm. is the single most vaporous odor that comes off of decaying cocaine. And so... That is, you will not get, you'll get a smidgen of methyl sodium benzoate if you do a cocktail. And we, and we did that study at Customs. So from a, if you, from a gram up to 10 grams with four different odors, overwhelmingly the notes were always marijuana and hash. Hmm. Wow. What, what is your take on the pseudo? Do you use it? I prefer not to use it, especially for explosive dogs. Um... The, the recipe that Sigma has for heroin and cocaine are almost identical to what we used at uh, Customs, acetic acid and pharmaceutical-grade aspirin for heroin and then methyl sodium benzoate for uh, coke. Um, obviously, there's no reason for synthetic or marijuana now. Those yeah. days are over. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I just haven't... Um, 
scientifically, I haven't found anybody that has had the, uh, the real science to back it up um, with uh, any of the pseudo explosives. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of scientists out there, their whole thing is to debunk the pseudo explosives. Like, that's the whole. I've had pretty good, I've used um, pseudo odors and um, some simulants and things. I've had good success, but I do it and I make sure that I have a certain system, but that, that's not what they, they just, they don't train on that all the time. You, get, right. you switch it over, but I haven't had too many problems or any problems really. Um, when I was out working the West Coast contract, that's all we used because you couldn't bring explosives over the Coronado Bridge. Yeah. But then we would get out into the field and use live odor, and it did okay. But I think, uh, I think in the imprint, early on in the imprinting phase, they were doing live, and they had to go back. And I just think in, in the, if, if you take a step back and you're going to do the most ideal way, it would always be live mm-hmm. everything, yeah. right? Um, and... Uh, and so we don't want to take shortcuts. I understand, especially now with more and more bomb dogs cropping up, that if somebody really developed a great kit, um, I would be the first one on it. So Yeah. Except well, bed bugs. Bed, lie, the pseudo bed yeah. bug odors. Have you smelled it? Yes. It smells like fucking strawberries. Yeah, cotton candy. That's what I was well, telling everybody. It's, it smells like, and it's way easier to keep alive than bed bugs. Yeah. <laughs> we did two bed bug dogs and I did one at the same time and I did one with live bugs and one and live bugs is a fucking pain in the ass and then I did one with this, the pseudo stuff and she's a, she killed it. In fact, she was, they were running some hospital down in, I don't know, her owner's here. I, yeah. yeah. He ran up to me at the booth and, but yeah, I mean, she's <laughs> killing it down in Louisiana or Alabama cool. or something. Yeah, yeah someplace I mean, in the south. Yeah. yeah, where they have fucking bed bugs. But, Oh god! Yeah, no bed bug. That the pseudo odor works for bed bugs, and it smells like cotton candy or strawberries. It's fuck. It's crazy. Yeah. So, are you a um, direct or indirect reward guy? I'm a direct. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. My argument always is well. The argument always is for indirect is well. We wouldn't throw a ball at a bomb. And my argument is always the same. We're not rewarding out on the road when exactly. we find a fucking explosive. Yeah. So that's, that's a moot use, point. That's and why we use variable rewards, fellas. Well, and that's why you <laughs> practice it, right? Yeah. The first time you do a praise-off isn't on a live call. They should have seen it in training, and they should yeah. be accustomed to it. Right. And it's just, it's variable. It's, it's just, yeah, that's a big mistake people are making is not using variable rewards. Well, yeah. we, we have our dogs, you call their name, flash their ball, so you're not having to reel them in. Just drop the ball back here and get them to your car. You know, I mean, there's a hundred different ways of doing that, but that, yeah, nobody's throwing balls at bombs. Yeah, no, no, we don't do that. That's typically not a very good idea. Yeah. (laughs) So we were talking about food reward earlier. Um, Is that for you? Is that only when you have to, or is that a preferred method? What? So I use it in stages. If I'm doing obedience or tracking that kind of stuff, obviously it's a big component to start the dogs with. if I'm doing a certain trained final response, I might use it for there to get more repetitions, not have to wrestle for the ball yeah. and that kind of stuff. But preferably, I always want a toy reward dog doing detection. Um, but with uh, nose work and some of the other civilian sports, you're going to have to use food at some point. And, um, and also, it's a competition. So that extra two seconds of wrestling, you know, mm-hmm. Sally for yeah. her tug toy just mm-hmm. cost you a ribbon, so... So you, another thing you just mentioned that is interesting, uh, it's a, there's always a debate on single-purpose dogs and obedience. How much do you put? What do you do? Where are you at on that? So we put very little. We make sure that we have an excellent recall um, and an excellent stay. 
and that's about the majority of what we do. As long as the dog's not a complete ass walking to and from, mm -hmm. because then we're then we're not being operationally aware, right? The dog, you got to walk across from this end of McCormick Place to that end of McCormick Place to do your search on an unattended bag, and your dog's gassed. Yeah. That's not, you know, that's not cool. So when the dog is livable on the leash, but an excellent recall and an excellent stay. If you have to leave him, you know it's for sure. When you need to get him back to you, you know it's for sure. We, uh, we Ted and I just did a uh, episode. We were talking about <coughs> training things and we were talking about tracking. I, some things I've done with tracking lately. And uh, Ted, it's, in, his, in his own words, is his worst thing um are you like really into tracking is that was that a big thing when you were on the job it was a huge thing when i was on the job and then of course i competed in schutzen and stuff for years oh. but just the the calls to do tracking and the calls to do protection anymore for me are almost non-existent everything's detection these days hmm. is it yeah. mostly explosives uh mostly yeah. um yeah. but be I, a couple of narcs um the uh, actually I, I wish I would have known he, he's not going to be able to come over, but uh, the drug dog they have over at Union Station is one of the best drug dogs that I've seen on a PD anywhere. Oh, yeah. He averages about three to five seizures a day. Shit. Every day. Wow. Damn. And we've seen him. <laughs> you think word would spread? Oh, fuck, Frank Dope to Union Station. <laughs> you idiot. And he's in the, you know, he seizes millions of dollars in currency. I mean, he's just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal dog. That's great. What, what is he? Uh, it's a black lab mix. He's a, he's a little bit of an angry black lab. So. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah. Because he'll bite you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he would threaten it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. So if you were doing, um, what like, explosive dogs. This, explosive dogs for us uh, is pretty common. We You know, we've been training those for a while. There's a lot of people that are, a lot of agencies, like we were talking to Howard Young, down where he's at in North Carolina. It's not a thing. Like, they don't have them yeah. down there. So... In, in Ohio, we have seven odors that we have to certify. <coughs> what are you, what do you see as you must have for, for bomb dogs? Like these odors you must have. So um, Ken Furton is here and he will probably talk about it, but he did a study several years ago on powders and the variety of recipes just amongst the powders. And so if I was going to oh, make no shit, sure... That's, oh, okay. I've read that. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and I would make sure, you know, if you're training with one or two powders, it's certainly not enough. Um, you got to... Uh, dogs don't generalize very readily anyway. And so you want to be training with these premier brands and some of the lower grade brands. Um, certainly that would be my first go-to. And then any of the, uh, the stuff that you can find locally, you know, the Tannerite, things like that, that you can just go to Walmart and buy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of the experts uh, from the FBI said the chances of us ever seeing a bomb with Semtex is almost non-existent. Yeah. But Semtex yeah, is we, in a lot of people's it, kids. It is, yeah. When we interviewed Paul Hammond, that was one, uh, where was that? Blue Line. Yeah, yeah we interviewed Blue Line. Uh, you know, he was talking about when he was over, um, when when he lived in the IRA. UK, when he, yeah, and they were dealing with the IRA, he was like, you know, we had operational information coming every day and that's what we were training on so that we would go and disarm these fucking 2000 pound bombs and we go fucking hide them for three months out on the base and then send the dogs back out and look. And he's like, so, and he said that he's like, you know, the, the one thing that the ATF has managed to do really well is keep military grade or mature military explosives out of the hands of people that don't need it or shouldn't have it. 
um, and you know which yeah, kind of one we have RDX bombs here in the yeah, in the US. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so and it kind of begs the question: like, if you're running an explosive dog, your chances of finding a fucking RDX or a fucking Simtax bomb or C4 is like non-existent. But HME, yep, you're gonna find because. And it kind of, and you know, his entire thing that we talked to him about at Blue Line was basically like, look, you have actionable intelligence from multiple sources, both federal and state level, and you're not using that in training. So you have this information that this is a very common type of thing, whatever the HME is, I'm not going to say it here, but then you should be training on that either some portions of it, some paranoia, whatever it is. But I mean, I see it all the time. Dudes are like, oh, we're going to run C4 and Simtex. I'm like, why? Because it's in yeah. a square and it's easy to hide. Well, that's true. There was a <clears throat> there was a slide from one of the presenters this morning, Russ. I don't remember his last name, but in uh, the previous three years across the entire United States, every bomb that was exploded was a powder, a hundred percent. No shit. He oh, said shit. every bomb that was found and <laughs> later detonated by the police, the only odor added into that was dynamite. Huh. And so I found that to be a really interesting slide. You guys, fuck, that is you bomb handlers, much. fucking hear that? Yeah, yeah. I need. We need to all listen. That's because dynamite's still used a lot. Yeah, and people can steal it. Yep. Yeah, and, and get it out. Yeah, there. mining and farming communities and stuff like that still have a lot of it around. But oh, no. um, nitrate. I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting mm-hmm. slide. Do you mess around with HMEs? Um, we, when I was with Amtrak, we used to go through the FBI for all of that training. Yeah, and so. Um, I'm now attached with CPD, so we'll do the same thing. We just go through the FBI. So oh, okay. Yeah, what, do you think about, what do you think about the... <laughs> they can uh, have that shit. Yeah. What do you think about the NORT test? Um, I think it's a time saver. Right. If you can't survive the cans, you shouldn't be in a building. Well, there's that. So. Um, yeah, but then <laughs> there's, also, there's also the additional training to get a dog to know how to actively search the cans. The cans. You yeah. know, there's a technique to that. Right, exactly. Well, it's enough that Kenny bought a fucking airplane hanger just for Nort test mm-hmm. t- training. Yeah. True story. Because I don't know about him, but other people were failing the Nort test because they just didn't know how to search the cans. Right. Yeah. Not that they wouldn't know the odor. It, no, exactly. And I, I complete. I have seen that happen, so I could completely concur. It's just another technique of how the dog needs to be deployed and learn how to search that. But if it's the difference between selling the dog and not selling the dog, yeah. probably Correct. ought to yeah. put a couple days in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> throw some cans out and yeah. get it yeah. going. Might ought to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's it's not going anywhere from anytime soon, I don't think. No, I don't no. think so either. I think that as soon as USPCA and a couple of the other large organizations adopted it, it's, it's going to be solid and around for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely in there. Um, do you still do uh, bite work? I do. Um, I'm more of a coach now. Yeah. But, of course. Uh, I, you earned it, right? <laughs> I absolutely love it. That, the, of all the things I've ever done, doing decoy work was always my first love. Yeah, it's uh, we do too, man. Him and I talk. We have a boat. We have a bad habit. Him more than me, uh, of being in the suit too much uh, at training yeah. and Guilty. not observing and training, but being in the suit. But we still do all the. I still do all the bite building, and so do, I know he yeah. does too on all his dogs. Oh yeah. And the maintenance part, though. Yeah, you know, have other folks. The other thing I want to mention, though, because you were out on the West Coast contract, mm-hmm. um, I was on at Auburn then, but with Strider Group with Mike Ritland's group, okay. and uh, people get away from the science. But a really good decoy also is completely using that science, the give and take, the tension on the suit for when he's getting the behavior the dog wants. Yeah. You give a little oh, bit, yeah. you know. There's there and. Uh, 
a lot of decoys I see, man, that is a lost art. Yep, it is. And subtle movements. It doesn't have to be big, No, it doesn't have to be these movements. big screams and falling on the nope. ground. It's very subtle. And that's something that we do a lot. I teach a lot. In fact, my, my apprentice, or whatever you want to call it, Josh, uh, he's 20. He's, he's going to hear this and be pissed. He's like 22. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the first things I taught him, like, about, like, the stuff that you can't see. Like, when you watch videos, like, you can't see what I'm doing. Like, I'm flexing my bicep or yep. I'm popping my forearm just enough to get the dogs to regrip. And I start that with young dogs, like, super young. And, you know, it helps with passive engagement. I mean, it helps with tons of things. And where we don't have these gross fucking mo- and I was talking about it today who we were talking to earlier. I was like, you know, look like the fucker from, we were talking to JJ about the dude standing next to the car lots that look like the their fucking arms are waving around or like whatever else. And, <laughs> like and then you get dogs thing. that are reactive instead of active and they're waiting for input from the decoy when we really want them to do something else. But yeah, no, it, that is definitely a, and that's something that my partner and mentor taught me a long time ago was we create we do not create reactive dogs. Right. And if you over exaggerate all these things at the wrong time, you'll create a reactive dog. So they're simply reacting to what you're doing. He was like, that's not what I want them to do. And I didn't understand it at the time, but now, now I do, but I'm like, yeah. The whole screaming thing I think got is, has been like misconstrued by a lot of guys. For me, this we'll do the screaming stuff every once in a while, just so the dog hears the person screaming because that's what they're going to hear yeah. when they're biting someone. People scream when they give it. Scream not all and the then time, they though. let go. Not all the time, but right. yeah, when they scream and, and shit, I never heard that before. Yep. So that's the whole that's the whole point. But I think everybody thought that they changed that into the scream as a reward for the dog. I mean, I'll make a little bit of noise yeah. on, it, on that punch, just a little, but no, I mean... No, but you hit a great point. They have to be exposed to it, but that's not an every... I look at bite work and tracking building searches with these same behavior chains. Of course, they're, they're modified, right? Um, but it, it, once you start adding in these behaviors, a dog downing on an article for tracking versus a dog um, indicating and moving on, depending on what your operations want, right? All of those behaviors, as long as we can articulate them, we can set up exercises that will exacerbate them and make them better and better and better. And uh, to me, that's, you know, the uh, an old dog equipment guy told me, he goes, he could fix every dog's if they bought his equipment. (laughs) So nice. um, Uh But, you know, the fact is that there's so much of that that's genetic that you can put a dog on a steel table all day long. That does not recreate a bite in the middle of a Chicago alleyway. And so this this made-up aggression that's right here because the dog, we have, he has no options. He's got to come with forward aggression or he's going to run on the table or he's going to get backed up and get his ass handed to him. So this is the option that most of the dogs are going to take. But that is not directly transferable to the street now that he has other options of I can exit stage left and not have to fight anybody. Yeah, it's contextual. I mean, it's extremely contextual. You know, this is something, too, that we talk about at the HRD seminars that Eric and Ray and I do. And, you know, when I talk to the handlers, I'm like, look, you know, we, we have what this should look like perfectly. So you're doing a felony stop, and from the time you get your big dummy out of the car to the time you pull the dog off after you've got a detainment. There is X number of steps in this. There are X number of skills the dog has to know and there are X number of skills that the handler has to know. So when we do these scenario-based trainings, uh, and I'm doing air quotes right now, we don't do these big, they're not always, I mean, we do these big, long, fucking complex scenarios, but 
we also do these teeny tiny little ones that highlight things. Maybe it's long line skill. We've gone to some of these things where these, especially East Coast guys, those guys use like 500 foot lines. I mean, they didn't even get out of the fucking car. They just sit in the car and send the dog into the building and wait. And they're good with them yeah, too. Yeah. The fucker right? from a helicopter. Yeah, like, and then, yeah, and they're super tug. good with long yeah. lines, right? And uh, that dude, there was one kid up there from, I think he's from Vermont, and he sent this dog into a room and he's like, dog's an odor. He's like, one, two, three. He pop, pop, pop. He's like, dog's on it because he had headphones on. He couldn't hear. He starts fucking yanking. I'm like, how the fuck did you do? that and he was like I use it a lot I'm like sure yeah. you, yes you do and we had another team where and one of the other ones and the guys are like yeah we don't ever use leashes I'm like ever and he's like nope not really I'm like seriously leashes are such a good idea that there was cave paintings of them I mean come on <laughs> so you know and and that's the thing so like if you do a long line vehicle extraction you know, with cover, you know, the dog has to be neutral with third-party announcements. The dog has to understand he can get into the car. He has to be taught how to get into the car. Then he has to be good with the long line. Then he's got to be good with regripping when he has tension so that you don't have to walk up to the car and not get fucking shot. So there's all these other things. And if a handler doesn't know how to use a 70 or an 80-foot line, yep. you're like, okay, well, you can't do this scenario until you unfuck yourself. So we're going to show you how to use a long line, <laughs> which sounds stupid, yeah. but... Well, and... <laughs> yeah. in, in, Dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> That's my move. Uh, well, in going back to your question, too, on the long lines, we have started to do a lot more distance tactics. So in those instances, we've got the dogs, uh, the, especially the bomb dogs. You know, if, if I'm standing next to the suitcase and my dog sits, I'd really rather my handler was outside the room with the dog on a long line. So um, about the last 18 months, we've been doing exercise specifically targeted for that and have had great success with it. Huh. But it's exactly what you're talking about. We work the long line, right? There's no knots. There's no anything. There's a way that we're going to reel it back in. There's the way that we're going to feed it back out so we're not given all of this shit information. And um, the dogs, have, I mean, it's just been no blip in the system. They've just done great with it. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. Yeah, no kidding. So we'll circle all the way back around here to the end uh, of the problem solving. Yeah. What are like top three handler mistakes that you see that you have to correct when you're correcting handlers? Like pretty almost every time. So the first one obviously is just reading your dog. Um, uh, a lot of guys just don't know what section of the detection they're actually in. And they're, they're looking at the dog, but they're not interpreting the dog. And that's everything from going to the bathroom to the dog distracting on piss, smell, everything. Second one is always leash control. And then the third one is uh, poor reward, poor reinforcement. You know, dog's barely got it in his mouth for a nanosecond. We're ripping it out, sticking it back in our ball pouch and going back to work. And so those three would easily be the big three. And what about on the dog side? Dog side is always top discrimination. Um, people don't spend enough time on the discrimination, decision-making capabilities for the dog. Odor recognition, they don't do enough work from low threshold to massive thresholds. And then um, the, uh, the, the confusion of obedience to odor versus obedience to objects. And um, that would be it. Those so are the top three. Almost all of that, though, is still man-made. Oh, it's always it's, man-made. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anytime you start to do anything repetitive, right, the dog's picking up on all those little things. And uh, I, I take that back. Rather than the search pattern and obedience to older objects, um, handler cues would be up there in the yeah. top three. Oh, yeah. yeah Cameron uh, Ford was talking about uh, before about a um, handler influence study that, that, that they did in Duke where they have the 
handlers stand and stare at something and or like against the wall or staring and the hides back on the other side of the room and the dog will only search where the handler's looking yeah and and so i did that back back home when i when i heard him talk about it i said yeah we'll try it fuck yes man every time uh so and the handlers are like ah my dog won't do it i'm like dude dude. the dog one one dog uh false alert on dude's foot like got right in it. front of him yeah right in front Cause so one of my one of my guys Mike he's got his dog and I said you can do we're gonna do this off leash in this big area there's a hide right here you stare over there he goes look at he's he don't give a shit about me and then he just the dog looked saw him and then went over and would not yep. leave that area over and over again and I go and you're not doing nothing but looking so I even went so far as to put the hide out and then I stood as the judge I'm your your, your certifying evaluator I'm staring at the odor you work over here and stare over it and the dog not one of them came over to me yeah it's the handler yep. it's always that handler influence the uh, if you ever <clears throat> just imagine putting a, a camera in the ceiling and this is my argument again for a lot of the off leash on leash stuff watch how a dog naturally even works the room they, they might catch a scent of something not interesting. Not, it's not your explosives, your narcotics, but it's interesting to them. They'll leave it for a little bit, then come back, leave it over here, and then come back. And it's not an effective, efficient search, and it's not effective and efficient in locating odor the quickest that we can. A search pattern is. Right. And so um, we started doing a little bit of the stuff with the drones, and uh, 100% of the time, the dog works for Ted for a little bit, and then he works for himself for a little bit. And then pretty soon, if he's not finding what he's supposed to be looking for for Ted, he changes gears and looks 100% for himself. <laughs> Fuckers. <Yeah. laughs> Dogs are selfish. Yeah, they will always try to get their own advantage. Always get their own advantage. Well, they're the ultimate work smarter, not harder. Right. You know? yeah. right. Well, tomorrow morning, the, everybody, you know, we'll hear this afterwards and we'll probably get some feedback. You should be ready to drink from a fire hose. You're coming yeah, at 8 shit. o'clock in the morning. That's going to be a lot of information, but yeah, it's good dude. stuff. Yeah, dude. And there's probably, the way you're breaking it down into where the, what part of the search the dog is in, a lot of guys, they don't, I mean, they haven't been taught that. You right. know, they, they have a few weeks, here's your leash, you know. And I, I'm seeing these handler schools, man, getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I, I had a guy come to me, his dog, he didn't know, he was pointing at one of my guys doing off-leash obedience. He goes, how do I do that? I go, obedience? And he goes, yeah, that. How do I do that? And I go, well, we can work on it, but what would you do when you did your state certification? He goes, I fucking take no state certification. Oh, man. He goes, I did a two-week dual-purpose handler school on a green guy. Two weeks. Goes home, certificate shows up. Faked it. The, the, yeah. guy, the vendor faked it and everything. That's like, just Come dangerous. On, yeah, you're getting somebody's life endangered when you do stuff yeah. like that. Didn't know how to do it. Dog wouldn't walk at a heel. Come on, man. Yeah. Come on. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate yeah. you coming well, guys, up. I appreciate the invite again. Thanks yeah. you very much. Yeah. yeah. Oh, where can we find you? What's your <clears throat> website? Uh, website is uh, ciak9.net. Letter K number nine. Letter K number nine dot net. And um, the uh, email is uh, dbk9cia at aol.com. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Perfect. Put it in the show notes. Excellent. Good. See Thank you guys you. in a little bit. Appreciate it. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. 
proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O, at alnsuits.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard, super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high-drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military-themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com. Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations, and that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K. Nine Pro, or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom, and we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about Tripwire Operations Group. They're some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up. Specifically for guys in this podcast. If you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog, they have one of the most well-rounded, ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification. Head over to tripwireops.org to check it out. They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely, and these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to that young night. Working Dog Radio is graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Duck Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.